everybody and welcome back to Witchfix. Welcome to Midsummer Murders The Secret Part 3 uh, because once I got home from visiting Vanda I was just, you know, renewed in my interest in watching Midsummer Murders, set up a record on the telly to just pick up any that turned up on ITV and wouldn't you know it, uh, I checked the description of one today and it said that it involved paganism so I duly watched it and oh boy I have notes. Now, this is one that me and Vanda actually did discover. It's called Murder by Magic, and it's season 17, episode 2. But the descriptions that we found for it online appeared to relate to a magician, and obviously that wasn't really the kind of magic we were looking for, so we bypassed it. But when I saw the description, which shows up on the television when, you know, you check your recordings, it did mention paganism, so I decided to give it a watch, and we... I wish we had found this one for part two because it actually has what I would describe as witches or pagans in it. Although the episode does indeed involve a magician, there's also the local pagans and pagan traditions come into play in the story, which is very similar to uh, the straw woman and magician's nephew, which ones we looked at before, uh, I believe in Midsummer Murders part one. And um, this one has several similar themes to other episodes that we've looked at. And I will be discussing the episode in full, including who the killer is, because I didn't feel like it was a wash in ambiguity who the murderer actually was. And therefore, um, I'm probably going to give it away because I, I don't really feel like that was an incredibly interesting discovery. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I would avoid the, the, the end of the episode. Now, the opening of the episode is thankfully one of the ones that jumps straight in with the murder, as opposed to going on for about 45 minutes and then someone gets killed. And uh, the actual murder that occurs is during a sort of David Blaine style magic show in a, a sort of church hall or the church itself. Unclear. Uh, but it involves a man who's in this giant sort of glass and metal case. And when the case is lifted after he's gotten out of it, uh, it unfortunately is dropped or appears to be an accidental dropping and it kills the pianist who is accompanying his performance. This is after one of the, um, I thought he was a vicar at first because he has a dog colour, but it turns out he is the curate. The curate stands up, declares the whole thing to be ungodly and storms out right before this incident takes place. And the local vicar appears to be a little bit put out by the curate's behaviour. Now the woman who's murdered is called Hannah Altman and she owns the village pub which is called The Green Man. This is like the third episode with a pub called The Green Man in it. I don't know if it's a real pub that they just kept filming at or if it's just a coincidence that so many of the pubs in the series seem to be called The Green Man but it, it got to me. Um, but actually, the Green Man symbolism is something that is involved in the episode itself, although it is never directly referred to as the Green Man, as we'll see in a moment. Major players uh, questioned right off the bat at the start are the magician, Gideon Latimer, his mother, Carol Latimer, his wife, Annabelle, Theo, his manager, Luke, who is Hannah's husband, that, that's the dead lady, Andrew, who is the curate, Magnus, who is the vicar, uh, I think his name is like Reverend Stone, but Magnus, and uh, Magda is referred to, who is like a barmaid, but she is never actually seen or mentioned again, but for some reason I decided to write her name now. One of the other people who stormed out with the curate at the magic show was a lady called Elsa Probert, who is a local florist, and we also meet her husband, Rodri Probert. One of the things that always gets to me about Midsummer Murders is just how many people are inter introduced in like the first 
30 minutes. Basically you have to memorise an entire village full of people which if this was a novel would annoy me greatly. It kind of helps though that you can see them and obviously then tell them apart by how they look but my word it's taxing. The central I guess conflict going on in the episode seems to be to do with Gideon Latimer the, mu uh, the magician. He has recently taken up residence in the local hall which is referred to as Melmoth Hall after its owner previously Sir Hugo Melmoth uh, who is a bit of a local celebrity uh, and is is dead but I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, he has taken up residence in the hall. The curate and a lot of other people believe that the hall is cursed and that nothing good will happen of someone living there and reviving you know the ancient pagan ways of its founder Sir Melmoth. In turn the magician is trying to I guess increase his fame, increase his career and he's trying to do this by supporting the local church which uh, he's helping to raise money for because it needs a new roof because if the money isn't raised for the repairs in the next couple of weeks the church is going to be closed and the reverend and the curate and everyone else associated will have to move off to a different parish. The first exciting pagan thing that happens is after the death of Hannah Altman uh, we see processions of green men figures coming through the village they're all wearing different cloaks in the shades of like green and, and brown and they're wearing masks which are green man masks with the leaves all over their faces and they appear to be carrying a sort of body wrapped in burlap on a cart this is revealed to be a, a, a giant straw effigy which they take into the woods put on a big stone altar stab and then set on fire which is definitely a look it seems like no one actually notices this or goes outside and sees this, which is a bit strange. Oh, Annabelle Latimer, the magician's wife, is woken by the drumming and sees, you know, some fire in the woods, but doesn't go to look at it. And considering these people processed through the streets while drumming, we don't really ever get any inclination that anyone actually saw them as they walked through the village. We do get uh, later on a recording which was made of them which helps to identify some of them because the curate sneaks up on their ritual and spies on them and makes a recording. But yeah, it's, it's kind of weird how this whole thing seems to be secret yet they just walked through the village drumming and, and waving fiery torches which you think people would have noticed. Barnaby and his, you know, surf du jour uh, kind of round everybody up. They're chatting to different people. They question the curate, Andrew, quite extensively. And it turns out he has sent threatening letters to Gideon the magician and also posted online calling him the son of the devil uh, and saying that Gideon is the heir to the dark legacy of Melmoth Hall, uh, which we'll find out a little bit about as the episode progresses, you know, what exactly is in the village's history. We also see a lady called Lorna, who is revealed to be Reverend Stone's wife. Um, she kind of talks to Andrew and is being mysteriously intense. And then later on, Andrew confronts Magnus, uh, Reverend Stone's, and tells him that he now has proof of his suspicions, which he's never had before, and that he's going to take this to the bishop. And, you know, things are not going to look great for Magnus the Reverend. So quite a lot of stuff heating up. And uh, then Andrew goes to the mansion to try and perform like an exorcism on the front lawn, has a confrontation with Gideon the magician, who uh, does pull a flower from behind his ear, which I found quite funny. Um, but then he kind of goes away. And later we see him apparently attending a rendezvous in the woods. So um, the curate's out there in the woods. He phones someone and is like, well, I'm here. Where are you? And then he is killed with a throwing dagger, which is just awesome. 
He's discovered the next morning when Annabelle Latimer goes for a jog and finds him on the altar, uh, wrapped in burlap, very much like the straw doll was, and also wearing a green man mask, although this one is made of real oak leaves instead of uh, leather shapes that are designed to look like oak leaves. We get a little bit of background on this whole altar business. It's referred to as the Pagan Temple and was supposedly built by Sir Hugo Melmoth, who basically um, founded a cult uh, which was devoted to uh, a god or goddess called Sulis. And um, he unfortunately died because, as it says on his gravestone in Latin, out of the flames comes life. And what he apparently tried to do was ritually throw himself into a fire so that he could re be reborn like a phoenix. And that went about as well as you would expect it had. So um, the local cult or coven or whatever it's meant to be, it's not really clear. Uh, they honour him in this spot and uh, are continuing on his tradition, albeit not throwing themselves into fires as yet. But we shall see how that goes as the episode progresses. None of this stuff is really referred to as being witchcraft. Uh, it's referred to as paganism quite a lot and also as the old ways. Um, but that's about as far as it goes. The police are very quick to ask the reverend if there are pagans active in the community, which is a pretty smart move. Uh, usually they kind of look at the historical side of things. They don't really ever question if people are actually practicing this now. But the reverend is quick to say, yes, of, yes, there are people in the village. They celebrate you know, the turn of the seasons or these sort of um, village rituals that they've always had and that the curate obviously protested this because I guess he was just no fun. The police recover a recording of the previous ritual on uh, a camera which they get from the dead curate's house and they realise that the guy who kind of rumbled that they were being watched and recorded was none other than Luke Altman. They go and have a chat with Luke and he reveals some of the inner workings of the group. What I found interesting is that he says that the person in charge of the coven or whatever it is, is called the High Priest of Sulis. But apparently this person can be a man or a woman, uh, as opposed to having like a high priest and high priestess or changing the title depending on the gender of the person who holds it. So it's always the High Priest of Sulis. He also doesn't know who the High Priest is because he says he's not in the inner circle and the inner circle are the people who vote on who the high priest gets to be. Lorna, the reverend's wife, turns up and is a little bit more intense, but with Gideon, the magician this time. I keep referring to him as Gideon the magician, as if someone could be called Gideon and not a magician, but bear with me. It's just something I'm just going to keep doing. Um, but it seems that she's involved with this pagan stuff and she wants him to be involved in it too, to achieve something. We don't know what it is yet, but she does seem very obsessed with saving the church, uh, apparently so she doesn't have to move and leave the area. But we don't really know why that is, aside from the fact that she might be just really devoted to being in this coven. The police analyse the video and are able to identify another member of the coven who is in the recording, and that is Rodri Probert, the florist. Um, his wife, uh, you might remember me mentioning, walked out of the original magic performance. She is very devout as a churchgoer, but it does seem that her husband is involved in this pagan group. So obviously a little bit of tension there, but not a huge amount comes of it. We never really see a confrontation with them. So that's a kind of a wasted opportunity. We find out that both Rodri and Hannah, the lady who got murdered at the beginning, wanted the high priest role and they were sleeping together. And that Hannah used that fact and the fact that obviously Rodri was married to blackmail him out of the race for high priest which doesn't seem very um love and light of her but i mean she's dead now so i won't hold it against her 
there's then a nice tense moment when there's like a, a fundraising dinner and Gideon does some magic tricks, including catching a bullet which is shot at his face from a gun, which is a, always a tense moment in any murder mystery because you're just like, is the gun just going to blow his head off? What's going to happen? Something definitely is going to happen. Will it involve the gun? But ooh, but no, his wife does turn up dead. So that's uh, pretty unfortunate. We then find out a little bit more about Lorna, the uh, vicar's wife. She is apparently the last living descendant of Sir Hugo, the guy who immolated himself after founding this uh, group. And um, that she has kind of a view that paganism and Christianity are not fundamentally at odds, uh, which she expresses basically in those words when questioned by the police. Uh, she doesn't really see them as things that have to be against each other or fighting in the way that the curate uh, made it out to be like a choice of one or the other. Uh, she says that they're basically just fundamentally the same sort of thing uh, and that they can coexist in peace, which, if nothing else, was kind of a nice message for her to deliver. And I was quite gratified when she turned out not to be the murderer because uh, I feel like if she had been, that would have been um, unfortunate given the, her earlier message. Although she does do something at the end which I didn't particularly care for in terms of the episode, so uh, I'll get into that. Then comes the final revelation. Uh, they do some local history digging and they find out that Sir Hugo was actually burned on purpose because he was a really horrible person. And he actually invented the cult of Sulis uh, in order to murder people or sacrifice them uh, if they didn't agree with him. So he could further his own agenda and his own wealth. Um, so it was actually a murder and not an attempt at being reincarnated. But Lorna, in an effort to raise money for the church, raise interest in her family and her local legend, um, has enlisted Gideon to help perform an escape artist's trick involving a coffin which is on a big fire and which he will be trapped in and then emerge from, which is another thing that gives you bad feelings when it's in a murder mystery. The police dash to the scene intent on rescuing Gideon from said burning coffin, but he actually appears in the crowd because obviously it's an illusion and he wasn't actually going to stay in the coffin for very long. He escaped pretty much immediately. Unfortunately, somehow he didn't notice that Luke Altman was in the coffin, which you'd think he'd have to notice. You know, I mean, it's not like he's a small man. He's a fully grown man. In a, in a box with another fully grown man and the second fully grown man just didn't know that the first one was in there. I call bullshit on that. I'm sorry. It just, it would have made more sense for me if he was maybe in a hidden compartment in the base. But no, it's just like a big wicker basket with two men in and one of them doesn't notice that the other one's there, which is weird. We then get the final who done it, which is kind of obvious because um, of the people murdered, we have uh, a woman who was married to someone who covered up a crime that Gideon committed when he was younger. Gideon's wife, who was actually cheating on him with his manager, and now an attempt at killing the guy who covered up for Gideon when he was a kid. Um, it's pretty obviously his mum. His mum then says that she did all of it for Gideon, obviously. The thing that made it kind of obvious for me was the fact that the curate was killed with a throwing knife, which meant that the person who killed him had to have experience in magic. We already knew that Gideon's dad used to be a magician and it just made sense for me that his wife would have been his assistant and therefore would know some of the same skills. Because it fairly obviously wasn't Gideon killing people, which kind of left his mum as the only suspect. So I don't really feel that this one was really up to snuff in terms of the usual Midsummer murders, red herrings, etc. But it was still a pretty good watch. 
Um, the thing that annoyed me is at the end, after they've kind of broken up this celebration, they've put out the burning coffin and Lorna's really upset. Um, they tell her that she should probably contact the local history woman to know the real history of Sir Hugo. And someone finds her like high priest headdress because she is the current high priest. And they're trying to hand it over to her, but she just kind of shakes her head like the sight of it makes her feel sick and then like turns to her husband and like embraces him. And he says that they're going to move away and um, have a new start somewhere else. Uh, this also happened in The Magician's Nephew. Um, the guy, I think his name was Ernest, who was really into being the high priest of the, of the coven. He, in the end, renounced magic for no real reason. He just threw his robe on the fire and walked off. And we didn't really get any other kind of closure as to how he'd come to that decision. It just felt very much like, although the pagan and the Christian elements have been quite balanced throughout the episode, uh, with no side really being the right side, at the end, the people who were Christian were basically just left to their own devices. Nothing really happened to them. They didn't really have any kind of epiphany about anything and yet the pagan character is always the one who kind of drop their faith and move on to something else which i don't really appreciate as a kind of ongoing theme with these episodes but yes that was murder by magic and a pr pretty good episode it had some nice little pagany bits in it the uh, magician's nephew is still probably my favorite one for just terms of overt paganism included in the episode but i am glad that there have been quite a number of episodes that did feature this stuff and if you guys are more au fait with Midsummer Murders than I am because I tend to just watch the random episodes that come up on ITV3 do let me know if there's any episodes that we've missed and I would be very glad to revisit Midsummer Murders and do another episode on them in the meantime uh, let me know if you go and check any of these out and what you thought of them you can do so in the normal ways Twitter or in the comments section for wherever you're watching or listening to this episode and I'll see you in the next one bye